You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. True or false, Afghanistan is a lost cause. That's what we are here to debate. Welcome, everyone. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, and on behalf of Intelligence Squared U.S., welcome to the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University and on NPR stations across the nation. As we argue this motion, Afghanistan is a lost cause. We have two teams of debaters, two against two. They include a journalist who has spent time among the Taliban and come back to tell the tale, a State Department official who walked away from his job in Afghanistan in frustration, a journalist who sat down and talked with Osama bin Laden in the 90s, and a military historian. Now, this is a debate. It's a contest of ideas, a verbal joust. And in this debate, you, our audience, serve as the judges. By the time this debate has ended, you will have been asked to vote twice, once before, and once again at the end of the debate. And the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. So on to round one, opening statements by each side in turn. Our first speaker for the motion, Matthew Ho. Matthew Ho, in addition to serving in Iraq as a Marine captain, went on to serve in Afghanistan for the State Department. He resigned his position there in 2009, writing a letter to his superiors in which he said, I have lost understanding of and confidence in the strategic purposes of the U.S. presence in Afghanistan. When he turned his back, great efforts were made by members of the Obama administration to get you to stay, Matthew. You didn't. And I want to know, have you ever had any second thoughts about that decision? You know, John, I do. At at times I do, I'll have uh, pangs of guilt, uh, but they're pangs and they go away when you realize that there's a larger issue here in terms of what's of benefit to U.S. national interests. Which is what you're about to argue. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Matthew Ho. You're going to hear tonight a lot of nuanced uh, arguments between us. You're going to hear uh, us disagree on the relationship between the Taliban and al-Qaeda. In my experience, in both eastern and southern Afghanistan, that the vast, vast majority of the Taliban that are fighting our troops every day are not wedded to an ideology that al-Qaeda embraces, that they are fighting occupation, and they're not fighting for some type of transnational jihad. You'll see us disagree over... The similarities between the Iraq and Afghan surge, again, I was in both. I was uh, fully invested in the Iraq surge, um, as well as I was one of the first civilian surge members uh, last year into Afghanistan. There are similarities between uh, the Iraq surge and the Afghan surge, but those similarities are more in terms of how the U.S. is doing its policy and how we didn't do things right to begin with in Iraq, and now a lot of those policies we're doing wrong again in Afghanistan. Um, and so keep in mind, bear in mind, just some basic aspects of the war in Afghanistan. Um, the cost. Last year, we spent, the United States spent $104 billion in Afghanistan. This year, we are projected to spend $119 billion in Afghanistan. Afghanistan's GDP is $14 billion. We are spending seven times as much in that country as it's worth. And so when you hear the administration say, we're looking at keeping this policy in place till 2014, that's a half-trillion-dollar price tag. Keep in mind that since 2005, 
we have seen a five-fold increase in U.S. and NATO troops in Afghanistan. And what has that actually, what's that occurred, what's occurred from that is just only every year a commensurate rise in violence, a commensurate rise in support for the Taliban, and a decrease in support for the Karzai government. So not only is the policy expensive, failing, it's also counterproductive because it's causing people to join the insurgency, it's exasperating the conflict, and it's making the region less stable. Additionally, keep in mind the nature of al-Qaeda. Keep in mind that there's only 50 to 100 members of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, according to our CIA. And contrast that with the 2,000 members of al-Qaeda that our State Department said are still in Iraq in their, la- in their report last August on terrorism. Contrast that with the fact that the German police say there are 45 members of al-Qaeda in Hamburg, Germany. It's not a formal military organization that we can defeat with conventional forces. It's a decentralized organization that will not be affected by the presence of brigade combat teams occupying southern Afghanistan. Nir and I are not, going to advocate, are not advocating for us to cut and run, but we are advocating for a policy that is not destabilizing, not counterproductive, and not effective against Afghanistan. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew Ho. Our motion is Afghanistan is a lost cause. And now to speak first against the motion, Max Boot, who is a military historian. He's on the Council of Foreign Relations. Interesting to me, since I actually covered Afghanistan when the Soviets were occupying, I found it interesting that you were born in Moscow before your parents flew out to L.A. The Soviet invasion and occupation, was that always a lost cause? It was really night and day, John. I mean, I've, I've actually been reading about the Soviet war in the 1980s for a book that I'm now writing on the history of guerrilla warfare. And it is so totally different from what we're doing. I mean, the Soviets really fought in a scorched earth manner. They killed over a million Afghans. They turned over five million into refugees, threw landmines around indiscriminately. Different it's story completely this time. different from what, the kind of tactics that we're employing today. Different story this time, and let's hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, Max Boot. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'd like to extend my sympathies to our distinguished opponents on the other side. I know they will make a valiant attempt, as you've already heard Matt do, but I'm very sorry to say they have an impossible burden of proof today. They have to convince you that it's impossible for America and our allies to prevail in Afghanistan, that there is no way we can achieve our objective, which isn't to create paradise on earth, but merely an Afghanistan that is free of terrorist safe havens and that can secure and govern itself. Now, you will hear, as you've already heard from Matt, our opponents say that Afghanistan isn't Iraq. And they're right. Iraq was much worse. In 2006, Iraq was in the throes of a full-blown civil war. That year, 34,000 civilians died. She and Sunni terrorists had high levels of support in their sectarian communities. Even many supporters of the war effort thought we were on the brink of defeat. For example, on August 9th of 2006, I wrote in the L.A. Times... Bush needs to do something radical to shake up a deteriorating status quo if we are to have any hope of averting the worst American military defeat since Vietnam. Luckily, President Bush did do something radical. He ordered a surge which turned around a war effort which many had written off as hopeless. Another surge is just starting, and it actually has better prospects of success because the situation in Afghanistan is objectively much better than it was in Iraq. Yes, civilian casualties are up, but they're still one-sixteenth as high as they were in Iraq. Yes, violence has spread, but 63% of attacks still happen in just three provinces. Yes, there is distrust among ethnic groups. We are not facing a civil war. This is an intra-Pashtun conflict. 
It's a huge difference from the sleepy days of 2008 when there were only 32,000 U.S. troops in the country and they were stuck in a holding pattern. Now we have 100,000 troops there. The last of the surge forces only arrived in September, but already they're making a difference. Airstrikes have more than doubled over the past year, and yet, according to the U.N., civilian deaths from NATO bombings were down 64% in the first half of the year. Perhaps the most important line of operations is the training of Afghan security forces, the ANSF. That's our ticket out of Afghanistan. We don't need to stay until Afghanistan is as peaceful as Switzerland, only until it can be secured by its own troops. Now, I don't want to overestimate the progress that has occurred or underestimate the problems that remain. But the biggest thing we have on our side is public opinion. Fewer than 10% say they want a return to the Taliban. More than 60% support the NATO troop presence. Is Afghanistan a lost cause? President Obama doesn't think so. General Petraeus doesn't think so. We don't think so either. I look forward to hearing from our opponents to see how they can possibly prove otherwise. Thank you. Max Boot. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have two teams of two each arguing it out over this motion, Afghanistan is a lost cause. We have heard opening statements from the first two debaters and now on to the third. Uh, Nir Rosen is a journalist who risked an awful lot by crossing over for several weeks or months to report on the Taliban side of things, and he survived and came back to tell the tale. And a new book has just come out with called Aftermath. And near, I, I read in the book that before you went, you memorized some phrases in Pashtun to, uh, to, get, to get around. What was the single most important phrase that you think that you learned and took with you? Mama Wajna. Means? Don't kill me. Don't kill me. <clears throat> and apparently they listened. Ladies and gentlemen, Nir Rosen. Um, Max said that our goal in Afghanistan is to make sure it's a a terrorist uh, safe haven free country. In a sense, we did that. In 2001 and 2002, we got rid of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. So I'm not sure why we're still there. Um, He also says that Iraq was worse in Afghanistan during the Civil War. That's true. And Iraq is still worse in Afghanistan today. So where is our success in Iraq? You have more civilians being killed in Iraq today than you do in Afghanistan today. This after the surge. Now, people like to forget about Iraq Um, And the media certainly have forgotten about it. But I think we can't understand what's happening in Afghanistan without understanding what really happened in Iraq. Now, the civil war in Iraq, the people that won the civil war weren't the American forces. It was Black and Decker. What I mean by that? Whenever you found a corpse in Iraq that was beheaded, you knew it was killed uh, by uh, a Sunni militiaman. If you find the corpse of Black and Decker with, with power drill marks in it, Shia militiamen killed it. And what defeated the Sunni insurgency in Iraq was not the American uh, Surge. It was Shia militiamen, in collaboration with the Iraqi police and the Iraqi army, who brutally crushed the Sunni population. Now, none of the factors that helped reduce violence in Iraq to the terrible levels where they are today, none of these factors even exist in Afghanistan. First of all, the Sunnis in Iraq, who dominated the insurgency, were 20% of the population, and they were destroyed and brutalized and turned into refugees in Syria and Jordan and elsewhere. The, the insurgency in Afghanistan is dominated by Pashtuns, 38-40% of the population, and they are not being brutalized. Likewise, Baghdad was the, the, the sort of the prize in the civil war in Iraq. It was a dense urban areas. The Americans could take each neighborhood in Baghdad, build immense walls around them, and really control the population. In Afghanistan, it's a rural insurgency. Most of the population in Afghanistan is in the villages. The Taliban are in the villages, just like the Mujahideen in the 80s were in the villages. We're making the same mistakes that the Russians were making, trying to control the cities and thinking that somehow we'll defeat the Mujahideen or the Taliban who are in the rural areas. 
Now, in Iraq, we had a government that somehow had some legitimacy. They represented the majority of the people. They crushed the Shia militias. But in Afghanistan, the government is a problem. It's predatory. It's corrupt. It's lacking any credibility. It's the best recruiter for the Taliban. The Afghan army, um, I was with the, the Americans in the surge in 2009. The Afghan army didn't show up. This time in Kandahar, the Afghan army didn't show up again. And who's fighting on our side in Kandahar today is not the Afghan army. It's uh, Colonel Razik from the border police, um, a brutal warlord who brutalized the population of Kandahar a few years ago and turned many people, especially the Nurzai clan, against the U.S. and joining the Taliban. Nine years into this, every year things have gotten worse and worse. This year is the worst year so far. Taliban control about 80% of the country right now. We are hated I don't think the American people know the extent to which the Afghans resent their presence and feel humiliated by it. Near Rosen, your time is up. All right, thanks. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, correspondent for ABC News Nightline and host and moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating. Welcome back to the program. Afghanistan is a lost cause is our motion, and now to speak against the motion, the last speaker in our opening statements, Peter Bergen, is a journalist who uh, is, is well known for the fact that in the mid-90s he went out to Afghanistan and sat down with a gentleman named Osama bin Laden, one of the very few Americans ever to have met and talked with him. He wrote a book called The Osama Bin Laden I Know. Peter, what do you know that the rest of us don't? Uh, no sense of humor. No, he, he, he's not a barrel of laughs. Ladies yeah, and gentlemen, no, no funny guy. Peter Bergen. This motion is not about Afghanistan is kind of not going well. The motion is about Afghanistan is a lost cause. Now, that is a pretty high bar that they have to prove. And so far, we've heard a lot about Iraq, not much about Afghanistan, and some pretty easy to disprove assertions that they've made uh, when they've talked about Afghanistan. Um, we heard from, uh, uh, from Nir that uh, Afghanistan is a very violent place. Well, actually, you're more likely to be murdered in my hometown of Washington, D.C., than you are to be killed in the war in Afghanistan right now. There are, last year, about 3,000 Afghan civilians were killed in the war, population of 30 million. It is simply not that violent. In fact, my wife is sitting here. Uh, we met in Afghanistan. You can actually have kind of a good time in Kabul. It's a relatively uh, peaceful place. There are restaurants, there are bars. There are, you, know, you can have a, a regular social life, which, by the way, you could never have in Baghdad. Um, another thing that we've heard, of course, is the Karzai government is corrupt and inefficient and incompetent. Sure, but let's look at the neighborhood. To his west, he has Iran with Adminijad, who's a Holocaust denier. We don't need to say much more about him. Uh, to his north, he has Karimov of Uzbekistan, who boils people alive as a sort of forensic technique. To his west, we have the military dictatorship on and off of Pakistan. And so if you look at the neighborhood he's in, this is Karzai is looking pretty good. And he actually won the most recent election. Sure, it wasn't the fairest election in history, but he's... <laughs> He's winning elections. I mean, this is, a democ- this is a democracy. Look at the neighborhood. And in fact, Freedom House, which looks at uh, uh, political freedoms around the world, uh, judges that Afghanistan is about as free as any of, any of the immediate neighbors. Um, well, Nia did say that we're hated. BBC, hardly a sort of pro-American, uh, generally speaking, uh, uh, news organization, found that 68% of Afghans last year had a favorable view of the U.S. military. Well, you probably can't find 68% of the inhabitants of the Upper West Side who have a favorable view of the U.S. military. And yet the Afghans do. And that number used to be 85%. Sure, we're losing some of our popularity, but we are still liked. Matthew mentioned that we can't afford this wall. Well, we're spending $100 billion on the wall. That's 1% of GDP. 
And I think this money is well spent. First off, the numbers are going to go down as we spend less money uh, and we have fewer troops. Secondly, just we were sitting in New York. My wife and I just toured the uh, Trade Center site this morning. And, uh, you know, that cost 3,000 American lives and it cost $500 billion. And, we, you know, to, to make sure that al-Qaeda cannot come back to Afghanistan is money very, very well spent. And the idea that the Taliban and al-Qaeda are not somehow allied is ridiculous. And the fact that al-Qaeda is a relatively small group doesn't mean very much much at all, because on 9-11, al-Qaeda only consisted of 200 people, and yet it did all this damage to us. Um, what the problem with al-Qaeda is its ability, ability to infect ideologically other groups, uh, and the Taliban is one of them. And let me give you, there's a very common polling question is, do you have a positive view of the future? Now, when Americans were asked that in the closing days of the Bush administration, only 17% of Americans said, I have a positive view of the future. Understandable why. Well, when the Afghans were asked this just recently, 70% of them said, I have a favorable view of the future. What is going on now is obviously better than what happened before. And Afghans don't think their countries are a lost cause. So why should we think that? Thank you. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. So I want you to keep in mind how you voted at the beginning of the evening and reminding you that we're going to ask you to vote once again after you've heard all of the arguments. And the team that has changed the most minds over the course of the debate shall be declared our winner. Now on to round two, where the debaters address each other directly and answer questions from the audience and from me. Our motion is, Afghanistan is a lost cause. We have two teams of two members each. The side for the motion is arguing that the more effort the U.S. puts into Afghanistan, the more violent the situation becomes. The side arguing against the motion is is telling us that we are hearing more and more of military victories piling up and that the Afghan people are with us. That's the question I want to put to the side for the motion. The Afghan people are with us, your opponents say. Nir Rosen, you've been out there journeying among the Taliban. You have a different point of view. Are the Afghan people with us? To a certain extent, I, th- I think that doesn't even matter because we never went there for the Afghan people. And Afghanistan was never a cause for us. This was purely a security issue. But in my experience, polls in Afghanistan are notoriously unreliable because people focus on cities, on urban people who have more money and have invest- a vested interest uh, in the Americans staying there. Uh, but when you travel the countryside, as I have, as many of the journalists have, you find an intense amount of resentment and hatred um, by people that you wouldn't expect to hear it from. And it's because of our night raids, where our special forces are going on raids and killing innocent civilians. Many innocent Afghans are dying as a result of our operations. Let me put what you, one of your points you just made. I want to put to your opponent that it doesn't really matter whether the Afghan people are with us. Max Boot, military historian, you've been over there as well. Does it matter whether we have their hearts and minds? It absolutely does matter. And, and, and we do, and it comes not only from the polling data, which I would cite as, as Peter did, which show that only about 4% of the Afghan people actually want to return to the Taliban. More than 60% support the NATO troop presence. But that's what I also find just in talking to ordinary Afghans. The biggest cause of resentment of NATO and U.S. forces is the fact that we have not done a better job of creating law and order. And it's not just the polls near. You also look at the number of insurgents that we're facing, and you're right, the number has gone up in recent years. But even in the worst-case scenarios, we're facing perhaps 30,000 insurgents. The Russians were facing over 200,000. The whole society was up in arms against them. The society is not in arms against us. It's a very small percentage of the Pashtun population. Max, do the opinion polls, are they reliable? Do they count? The polls have been pretty consistent over the 
over a number of years, and they comport with what I and many other people find out for ourselves by talking to ordinary Afghans, which is that there is not an overwhelming resentment of the foreigners. What there is is resentment of the fact that the foreigners have come and have not done a better job of defeating the Taliban, whom they hate. Max, I don't think you talk to ordinary Afghans. You go on these babysitting tours where the U.S. military protects you, so there's white guys with guns who take you around the country, and it's all choreographed and staged. And the Afghans aren't going to interact with you the same way when you have the occupier, the, the Christian occupier with the M16 next to you, as opposed to going in villages and talking to common people. Okay, well, I mean, criticizing Max Peter for, Bergen. I mean, let's get back to the real points. Anecdotes about what I talked about with this Afghan or that Afghan. I've been visiting Afghanistan since 93. I was there during the Civil War. And these opinion polls, they are scientific opinion polls. They're conducted by major news organizations, the BBC, ABC News, the Asia Foundation. These are not amateur. These are as good as polls that, are, that come out in this country. Matthew Ho, like, Ma- uh, Matthew, Ho. Let, gonna, Matthew let, me, let me put the question to you. you I, I just want to remind people of your, of your background in Afghanistan. You went out there as a foreign service officer. You had served in Iraq. You believed in missions. This one you walked away from. What was the ultimate turning point for you that you would do something so dramatic that you saw such failure written there that you would, you, you would turn away from it? The main thing is that our troops aren't fighting al-Qaeda. They're fighting Taliban. They're fighting people who are upset that we're occupying their villages and valleys. The U.S. intelligence community will cite, you can look at the Boston Globe from September 2009, that 9 out of 10 members of the Taliban are members of the Taliban because of foreign occupation and because of an ongoing civil war. I actually support Peter and Max's polls. 60% or 68% of Afghans are for our presence. 32% are violently opposed to the pawns that take up rifles. I also say that in the Asia Foundation poll that was just cited, 80% of the population supported talking to the Taliban and negotiating with them. All right, let's get it's a, a bad choice. Let's, can let's, I, go, to, just, let's go to Max Boot and I'll come I, to you, Peter. Can I take issue with a point that Matt has made several times now, which is to suggest that the Taliban are fighting essentially because we're there. That really flies in the face of history. And the fact is the Taliban movement began in the mid-1990s when there was not a single American soldier in all of Afghanistan. They were a response to the chaos, to the conditions that prevailed in Afghanistan when we had no presence at all there. So the notion that somehow the Taliban would go away or would stop fighting or would suddenly be transformed into Mother Teresa if we weren't there is really uh, ahistorical. Because, in fact, if we weren't there, they would take over as they did last time in the 1990s. Near Rosen, is that what you're saying? Well, they'll probably take over much of the country. That's true. Um, We rest our case. This is not the Taliban of pre-2001. This is an insurgent movement, which is very clear about its goals. They're local people, local farmers who are fighting for very local reasons. Maybe it's for Islam or for their village or for revenge or because Americans are backing one tribe against another tribe, but they're locals fighting for Afghanistan. I love the fact that this is not the Taliban of 2001. This is the much worse Taliban. This is a Taliban that has morphed ideologically and tactically with al-Qaeda. The reason that we're facing the big insurgency that we are is that they've adopted wholesale al-Qaeda's tactics. Suicide attacks went up uh, five times between 2005 and 2006, IED attacks. The whole notion of a moderate Taliban is uh, sort of an oxymoron. Is that the uh, Taliban who lets their kid, uh, girls go to school once a month uh, or once a week? Near, near, near Rosen and Matthew Ho, you're, you're arguing that Afghanistan is a lost cause. If, if Afghanistan is lost, if the Taliban takes over uh, uh, significant parts of Afghanistan or simply the chaos continues in Afghanistan, is that a threat to American national security? The Taliban, with their pickup trucks and AK-47s, are no threat to the U.S. Al-Qaeda 
is not in Afghanistan. They were defeated there in Pakistan. They're in Yemen. They're in internet cafes and slums around the world. The Taliban leadership is composed of Afghans. Al-Qaeda, which is based now in Pakistan, to the extent that it exists as a real organization, is led by Arabs and Pakistanis. It's true. So, so, but, so, so we could leave Afghanistan and it would not cause, it, it would be fine as far as our national security goes. As far as ours, absolutely. I have a differing opinion here from, from an article that I consider fairly authoritative on this matter. It says the Taliban, once an isolated and impoverished group of religious students who knew little about the rest of the world and cared only about liberating their country from oppressive warlords, are now among the best armed and most experienced insurgents in the world, linked to a global movement of jihadists that stretches from Pakistan and Iraq to Chechnya and the Philippines. Now, the author of that article, which ran in Rolling Stone in 2008, called How We Lost the War We Won, was a fellow named Nir Rosen. I don't know if he might be related to the gentleman (laughs) sitting on the other side of the... uh, of the uh, stage here. There is a marriage of, of, of convenience. There are, of, of, course, of course, there's some cooperation, although we don't see very much. Uh, when you visit villages, as most journalists who've met Taliban have, uh, will say, they're local fighters. They raise money locally. They're not fighting for money, by the way. But sure, they, are, they do use suicide bombers. This is not an al-Qaeda tactic. This is an insurgency tactic. It's not so much a question of ideology, just a, a weapon. Matthew, I, I want to I acknowledge that I know that you're not saying, your position is not that we should cut and run, but I'm asking the question, if we left Peter Bergen and Max Boot, would that be harmful? harmful to American interests? Of course it would be. It would be a moral catastrophe to allow the Taliban to take over and impose their regime on Afghans. We overthrew their government. We have a moral responsibility to more or less... But what's the security threat? ...more or less get it right. Well, we already know. Uh, When the Taliban was in charge of Afghanistan, al-Qaeda had free reign in the country. If there are negotiations with the Taliban, uh, you know, one of the things they've got to do is reject al-Qaeda. They've never done that. And, in fact, as we've seen in Times Square, that these groups are uh, very closely aligned. It's a Pakistani Taliban, though. It's dishonest to conflate the Afghan Taliban with the Pakistani Taliban. It's the Taliban. They're all based in Pakistan right now because we've, thankfully, got a lot of them out of Afghanistan. And what we're trying to prevent is a safe haven in Afghanistan coming back for al-Qaeda and the Taliban, who just moved across the border. We can't invade Pakistan. Let's hear so, Matthew Ho's response you know, to um, Two things. One, I don't think al-Qaeda needs a safe haven and wants a safe haven. I'd like them to go back into a safe haven. I'd love for them to open up Tarnak Farms back in Kandahar because then we could bomb them. Uh, their organization, like any other organization, they evolve. Organizations tend not to devolve. It does not make any sense why al-Qaeda would want to go to a place where they could be readily attacked by our aircraft, our cruise missiles, our commandos. And like I say, if they did, that's great because then we could go after them that way. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. Our motion is Afghanistan is a lost cause. And something that has come up in the discussion is the fact that uh, our allies, the, the government of Afghanistan, is, is not by any definition savory. And I, I want to go to Max Boot, because I believe you've had uh, in, in your visits there some contact with them. You know, how, how much of a problem is that, that the guys that we're backing are so incredibly disliked, which is something that you concede? Well, John, the fact is we don't have perfect allies in Afghanistan, but that's true in any counterinsurgency fight, because think about it. The reason why you have an insurgency in the first place is because the government isn't doing a very good job. If the government were doing a wonderful job, you would not have an insurgency. But again, on the other side, you're not exactly facing, you're not exactly facing uh, the League of Women Voters. The, the people of Afghanistan have experienced the rule of both the Taliban and the current government. They know the current government has problems. But again, to refer to those polls, which marry up with everything I've learned, over 90% of Afghans prefer the current government to the Taliban. And now, to the side that's arguing that Afghanistan is a lost cause, something that your opponent said that I found quite interesting is, the, is that you have a very high bar to prove. 
You're arguing that Afghanistan is a lost cause, but, but when? Is the, what, what if we pour in more troops? What if we increase our effort? What if we simply allow more time to go? What's to say that ultimately, with time, this could not work out? More is the problem. The more troops we put in there, the more money we've put in. We've actually created a conflict because of our money. Iraq... People are fighting over control of the oil. In Afghanistan, the only resource is American money. You have warlords that we're backing competing for American money. You have the Taliban who are making money from our presence there. You have contractors who the Americans are paying who are paying bribes to the Taliban. It's all about American money. Peter, I want you to respond to the main thrust. The more we do, the worse it gets. I think quite the reverse. The less we did, the worse it got. And actually, this raises a very good point, which is it would be much more convincing to say that, uh, look, we should just sort of wash our hands of Afghanistan if we hadn't already done this twice. In 1989, we closed our embassy there after uh, you know, arming the Mujahideen and defeating the Soviets. And we, the Clinton administration then zeroed out aid to one of the poorest countries in the world. Into that vacuum stepped the Taliban and then al-Qaeda. Then in 2001, the Bush administration did almost exactly the same thing. So it's not because we've done too much. It's because we've done too little. All right. I'd, I'd like to hear from you in the audience to gauge how you think this debate is going and see what you think is persuasive and what is not. And so you can go first. I just want to know, what, what do you think of the debate? What are you hearing so far? I find the arguments about the poll results to be very, very weak indeed. If these people are not willing to fight to preserve themselves from the Taliban, I really wonder what, whether it matters very much that they say they're opposed to it when you ask them that. Thank you very much. Ma'am, you can stand up. I'm from Iran, and there are quite a few Afghanis who work in Iran low-paying jobs. And I saw them after the government was toppled that they went back to Afghanistan. And a lot of them are back in Iran. If Afghanis didn't think this is a lost cause, why are they coming back to Iran to work a low-paying job? Thank you. I'm not hearing enough from either side about the role of Pakistan and the Pakistani government in all of this. Because it seems to me it's more than just the difference between the Pakistani Taliban and the Afghani Taliban. It's also the fact that there's evidence that elements within the Pakistani government are directly funding and or assisting the insurgency in Afghanistan. If that's the case, how can we possibly succeed? All right. I want to take the question, turn into a question, the comment about Pakistan, because you, you, you have made the case that there being a Pakistani Taliban, but we haven't really talked a great deal about Pakistan as an agent. This gentleman's comment is that he feels the, the role of Pakistan uh, as, a, as a negative influence in what's going on there it makes, more or less, t- is turning this into a lost cause. It's a little bit of an affront to your point of view, so I'd like you to take that, Peter Bergen. Um, Pakistan uh, has very belatedly begun to realize that the jihadi Frankenstein that they helped create, the Taliban, has become a huge problem for them. Benazir Bhutto, the most popular politician in Pakistan, was killed by the Taliban. Uh, the Taliban have attacked uh, hundreds of police, uh, killed hundreds of police officers and army uh, soldiers. And as a result, the Pakistani public, which used to view the Taliban as sort of religious Robin Hoods, now see them largely as thugs. And the Pakistani government, military, and public have really turned against the Taliban in a very sizable way because they understand that the Taliban is now attacking the Pakistani state. There's a very dangerous conflation here, though, because there's a Pakistani Taliban and an Afghan Taliban. It's true. The Pakistani state is fighting brutally the Pakistani Taliban. 
It's not fighting the Afghan Taliban. It's supporting the Afghan Taliban. We've driven the Taliban into Pakistan. We've driven al-Qaeda into Pakistan. Just by being in Afghanistan, we're also pushing drug networks out of Afghanistan into Pakistan. It's our presence which is threatening this crucial country, which, of course, can go into conflict with India, etc. Thank what, you, can I, can I ask a question oh, here? I mean, what is, what is more likely to produce a stable and pro-Western Pakistan in the future? Is it an American defeat in Afghanistan? Is it, is it a withdrawal that will be hailed by the jihadists as a glorious victory against another superpower, one that will allow their allies and the Taliban to take power in Afghanistan? Is that going to be good for the future of Pakistan? I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. The motion is, Afghanistan is a lost cause. Stay with us. Our motion is Afghanistan is a lost cause. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. We have two teams of two arguing it out. Afghanistan is a lost cause from the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. And I'd now like to go to questions from the audience. Um, sir. Hi, my name is Ali Grieb, And uh, I just wanted to, to uh, challenge Peter Bergen on the specifics of something he said before. He said that the the Afghani Taliban, Taliban hadn't uh, repudiated al-Qaeda at all, and that's, that's true in the sense of a strict uh, repudiation word for word. But uh, Ahmed Rashid reported in the, in the New York Review of Books that Mullah Omar, who's the head of the uh, Afghani Taliban in the Kedashura, had pledged that if the Taliban were allowed to return to Afghanistan that there would be no interference from, uh, from foreigners and that also there would be no threat from Afghanistan to any neighboring or outside countries. And so I was just wondering for uh, comments on that. He Peter would Bergen. say that, wouldn't he? I mean, I mean, come on. This is a guy who was prepared to lose. Mullah Omar was prepared to lose everything on the point of principle that he wasn't going to hand over bin Laden. And he did. This does not suggest that he's going to be Henry Kissinger in some future negotiation with us. This is a religious fanatic uh, who very closely allied to another religious fanatic, Osama bin Laden, I was there under the Taliban. I can tell you that a doctor was earning $6 a month. The World Bank stopped measuring the economic indicators of the country because there were none. All women were imprisoned in their homes and all girls were not allowed to go to school. This is the Mullah Omar is not a rational actor with whom we can do business. And it would be a moral catastrophe for us to allow him to come back into power in some shape or form. Another question? And if you could stand up, please. Hi, um, my name is Lauren Grumka. I'm a student at NYU. If you do pull out of Afghanistan, how do you know that the al-Qaeda will not come back? Because would it not be possible for them to use the fragmentation that is within Afghanistan and the weak government to come back into power and to use that as a means of recruiting people? I, I, I think near, the question, take the question. If we, if we were to pull out and al-Qaeda came back to Afghanistan... I think that would be the greatest thing, because right now they're in Pakistan, where we can't actually get to them. We can't find them. There's a much greater infrastructure for al-Qaeda to hide in Pakistan, dense urban areas in Karachi and other places where they can blend with the population. In Afghanistan, if they have bases, whenever you want, you could pound the hell out of them, drop B-52 bombs on them, be as brutal as you want. Um, I think it's also important to remember, al-Qaeda is not that big of a threat. They've had one success, September 11, and that's it. So we shouldn't exaggerate this threat of al-Qaeda in the first place. Uh, I just want to go to, to Max Boot. What, what, Nearest thesis, it would not be well, such that, a bad thing if Al-Qaeda came back into Afghanistan because you can get them there. Well, you know, that's the strategy we tried prior to 9-11. We can see how well that worked with cruise missile strikes on Al-Qaeda training camps in Afghanistan. And frankly, Nearest's statement just now, I think, puts a lot of his comments into perspective because he's saying the Taliban aren't much of a threat, but he seems to think that the Al-Qaeda isn't much of a threat either. So do we face any actual threats out there, Nearest, I'd like to know? 
The Taliban certainly are no threat. Uh, you've only had one Afghan ever try to attack Americans, and that was Zazi here in New York, and he spent most of his life over here. You don't have any, uh, any Afghan Taliban trying to attack the U.S. outside of Afghanistan, of course, where they're occupied. E- except in Times Square on May, in, just, just that in was May. was Pakistani Taliban. Okay, really Pakistani Taliban, Afghan Taliban. In they fact, are very different It's a distinction you know without that. a difference. They are essentially the same group of people. But if we didn't do that, if we... See, There's a lot of grumbling from the audience on that, when, Peter. When I, when, I, when I was bringing up Iraq before, this is what we did for Matthew three or Ho. four years in Iraq. We conflated all the groups together, did not address any of the local grievances that those groups had, that they had been usurped from power, they were excluded from the government, that outsiders were occupying them. If we want to keep this type of mindset about the Taliban, then we can fight them for, for decades. Has everyone seen the film Gladiator? Okay, you remember in the beginning, they're fighting the Germans, and then one general turns to, to uh, Russell Crowe and says, uh, don't, don't a people ever know when they're beaten? And Russell Crowe says, would you? Same thing. This is human nature. It is. It's human nature. Who here as a kid watched Red Dawn? Okay? Right? I mean, when I went in the Marine Corps, you know, I grew up by you know, 10 years in the Marine Corps. Red Dawn was probably my favorite movie. Okay? And if the Russians had invaded, I would have fought them. Uh, it's the same type of principle. Okay, it's, it's, we're dealing with people who primarily see the reason for supporting the Taliban as occupation and a government that excludes them. Why fight all of them when we can negotiate with 80% of them? Right in the front row. Um, so I'm a college student, I'm a high school student on Long Island. And um, my question is that this debate seems to come down to a lot about is Afghanistan a lost cause in terms of military occupation. And although I may agree with that, what I'd like to ask you is that what about humanitarian efforts? I mean, since NATO presence, there's been an increase in health care availability to Afghan citizens from 9% to 85%, a 50% increase in crop yield due to 400 micro damage being built. I mean, how can you denounce the fact that there's been a massive increase in terms of quality of life for the average Afghani civilian? Well, since that actually was part of Max Boot's opening argument, that there are a lot of other aspects of life that are, are succeeding, I'd like you to take that question. Yeah, I mean, we've spent, the U.S. has spent, since 2001, $50 billion in foreign assistance in Afghanistan. The average life expectancy of an Afghan is 44 years of age. One in five children die before their fifth birthday. Um, access to electricity is less than 10% for the Afghan people. And when I say access, that's three to four hours. Um, there have been some successes. But this is still a country that's ripped apart by war. So what do you need to do is find a way to, to keep those successes and end the conflict in the other part of the country. Sir, thanks. thanks. Reed Schoenfeld, a one-time newsman. I used Walk. to work for you, actually, a long time ago. <laughs> you didn't pay very well at all, no, and I'm no. not going to forget that. I, I think you came after I left, and you would have been more poorly paid <laughs> if I was still there. But why, if 90% of the Afghans don't like the uh, Taliban, why did uh, General Michael Oates, and he's the guy in charge of trying to eliminate IEDs, and he uses ground sensor devices to do that, among others, say there is little utility in the use of ground sensor devices against IEDs, because as soon as they were planted, the local population told the Taliban about it, and the local Taliban appeared, they either avoided them or appeared and unplanted them. Well, the problem of IEDs was Max actually Boot. far worse in Iraq than it is in 
in Afghanistan, and the general is right that there is not a quick technological fix to IEDs. What works in getting rid of IEDs, the roadside bombs that the insurgents set, is to implement classic counterinsurgency strategy, to bring security to the villages, to bring development to the villages, and once you protect them from the insurgents, they will then be willing to rat out the insurgents who are in their midst and tell you where the IEDs are being planted. That is exactly the strategy that our forces are now implementing in Afghanistan. They are bringing security to the villages as they provide a more secure environment. It will be impossible for the Taliban to plant IEDs. In in Iraq, they led within a a couple of years to a a more than 90 percent decline in violence. And I think as they are taking effect in Afghanistan, I see similar success happening in areas like Nawa, where where our troops have been a little bit longer than they are in Matthew, some other would parts like of the country. To I mean, well. I actually, uh, when I was in Iraq, I was a com, I was a com engineer in the Marine Corps. I actually, actually go out and look for IEDs. Or my Marines, I was an officer, so my Marines did, you know. But uh, uh, Max is correct, but it's not working. Uh, Gareth Porter, a journalist for Interpress Service. We, uh, we don't know it's not working, We know Max. it's not working, Max, because— We're just starting to do it now. No, we're not starting to do it. I mean, again, I'll, I'll refer to a movie because it's—we've it's, been doing counterinsurgency— I can't years. argue with Red Dawn. You've got me yeah. there. <laughs> Great film, right? You know? But, uh, but I, I would urge you all to see the film Restrepo. It's a documentary done by, by a journalist just to see, it, to see what it's like to be an American infantryman in Afghanistan. But that film was done three and a half years ago. And you see our soldiers doing counterinsurgency then. Lieutenant General Barno, who was in command of our forces in 2004, said, we are moving to a counterinsurgency strategy. In southern Afghanistan, where we have been searching troops for several years now, the first Marines, the first U.S. Marines went back into southern Afghanistan two and a half years ago, okay, into those parts of Helmand where we're still losing guys every day. The success rate and the percentage of IEDs that were being turned in by the population Less than 2%. The population are not embracing our presence. We have time for one more question. I had experience with counterinsurgency in South Vietnam as a Marine. And I am a little concerned about the Karzai government and their move to disarm the contractors. I think that if one goes out of your base to try and help the village and counteract whatever Taliban influence there is, without good security if they're disarmed and you depend upon the Iraqi police, is our effort outside going to collapse? In other words, is our village pacification in Afghanistan going to disappear if Karzai really disarms the professionals? What's scary is that we've spent $27 billion building the Afghan police and the Afghan army after nine years, and we can't rely on them to protect humanitarian assistance uh, projects. Losing the private security for... for, uh, for development workers there is very troubling, um, uh, and it will have a severe impact on humanitarian assistance. Actually, I think this is a good move on on President Karzai's part because these private security companies have been a big part of the problem in Afghanistan because they've run roughshod over a lot of the country, and we've relied upon them for years because we didn't make a serious effort to send our own troops or to build up the Afghan security forces. Uh, We have not tried to create an Afghan security force large enough to stabilize and secure the entire country. We're only now making that attempt. And as we do that, we can be less reliant on the private contractors who are out of control in many cases and under poor supervision. And we can rely more on our own troops and more on the Afghan troops that they are mentoring alongside of them. And you will see an increase in security. I'm critical of President Karzai for a lot of things, but I think this is actually a positive initiative. The Afghan troops are part of the problem. It's the Afghan police who are the best recruiters for the Taliban by oppressing people, by stealing from them, by demanding bribes. That's because they haven't had salaries and they haven't had training, and both of that is is changing there. And that concludes round two of this debate. 
And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater. It's their last chance to change your minds because we're going to ask you right after that to vote one more time. Remember, we asked you to vote before the debate. We're going to ask you to vote again. And the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. On to round three, closing statements from each debater in turn. Our motion is Afghanistan is a lost cause. And here to argue his position against the motion, Max Boot, senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations and the author of War Made New. Guess what, folks? My pre-debate intuition held up pretty well. The other side has not even come close to proving their case, that Afghanistan is a lost cause. What they've essentially done is they've thrown up various problems that exist in Afghanistan. And I, we agree with them. There are a lot of problems that exist. There are a lot of problems that existed in Iraq. There are a lot of problems that existed in Malay, in Colombia, in El Salvador, in Peru, and many other places where insurgencies have been defeated. But the fact that the problems exist does not mean that we cannot overcome them. And for the very first time, we are making a serious effort to overcome them. Matt talked to you about how we've been trying to do counterinsurgency in Afghanistan for years. No, we haven't. We have not made a serious commitment to do counterinsurgency in Afghanistan until right now. When you have 30,000 troops in a country of 30 million people, you are not doing serious counterinsurgency no matter what your generals say. We are starting to do serious counterinsurgency right now. Uh, We are working with provincial reconstruction teams and district support teams to improve uh, uh, lighting, to decrease corruption, to improve economic development, all these things that people want. I think it is crazy right now when the surge is just beginning to suggest that already it has no chance of success. It is ahistorical. I go back to the fact that the people of Afghanistan are fundamentally on our side. Somebody asked, well, if they're on our side, why aren't they fighting for us? Well, the fact is they are fighting for us. More than 250,000 Afghans are in the Afghan security forces. Only about 30,000 or even fewer are in the Taliban. Ten times more are fighting on the side of the government, and those numbers are increasing. So I urge you to stand with the brave people of Afghanistan to resist the tyranny they hate, and that will threaten us if the Taliban should ever return to power. Thank you, Max Poot. Afghanistan is a lost cause is our motion. We are hearing closing statements. And now to issue his closing statement for the motion, Matthew Ho, who is director of the Afghan Study Group and a former State Department official. Thanks, John. Uh, I've been doing counterinsurgency all my adult life. Um, before the wars, I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan. We used to go and work with, the, with our, our counterparts in Thailand and Philippines and Indonesia who are all fighting active insurgencies. I've been doing this. This is not the same as those insurgencies. It's not the same as Iraq. What we, are inv- what we are involved in, what we're entangled in, is a 30-year-old civil war that has roots that go well before the existence of al-Qaeda. And again, what I just said there was al-Qaeda. What effect are we having on al-Qaeda? How is this making America safer? And that's the question that, that you need to go home with tonight. And, and to be honest... You know, I'm probably the worst debater you've ever had because I really don't care who wins the debate. Because at the end of the night, we're all going home. But there's 100,000 Marines, soldiers, sailors, and airmen who are in Afghanistan who, you know, it's not theoretical to them. Um, This is very real for a lot of people. Um, And it's something that, you know, when you go home tonight, um, keep in mind and keep thinking about it and keep talking about it. You know what percentage of people voted on this issue in the midterms? Less than 8%. Like I said, we go home tonight, there are 100,000 American soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines who are not going home tonight, and some of them will never go home. Thank you, Matthew Ho. 
Our motion is Afghanistan is a lost cause. And now summarizing his position against the motion, Peter Bergen, a journalist and co-director of the New America Foundation's Counterterrorism Strategy Initiative. I'd also like you to, like you to think about the 3,000 families who didn't have anybody come home on the night of September 11th. And that's just as important uh, a sacrifice and it's something we cannot let happen again. And I'd also like you to think about the history of Afghanistan. Think about the Soviet invasion that killed a million Afghans and made five million of them homeless. That was a lost cause. Think about the civil war where hundreds of thousands more Afghans then died. That was a lost cause. Think about the Taliban. I don't need to detain you with what they did to the country. That was a lost cause. It's not surprising that 68% of Afghans have a favorable view view of the U.S. military and 42% of them blame the violence in the country on the Taliban and only 3% on NATO and the United States because they well understand what a catastrophe it would be for the Taliban to come back. 70% of Afghans have a favorable view of the future. They know what they're living through is better than anything in the last 30 years. They don't think it's a lost cause. Don't take our word for it. Think about what they think about as they go to work without having the Taliban ruling over them in a brutal and incompetent method every day. Thank you, Peter Bergen. Our motion is Afghanistan is a lost cause. And summarizing his position for the motion, arguing that Afghanistan is a lost cause, Nir Rosen, journalist and author of Aftermath, Following the Bloodshed of America's Wars in the Muslim World. Peter said that the refugees from from, uh, Iran and Pakistan have gone home. They've gone home because Iran and Pakistan expelled them from there, so they go go back to uh, Afghanistan. He also said that Washington, D.C. is more dangerous. It's true in a certain sense. You may be uh, killed by criminals there, but there's no insurgency there. And a white person like Peter cannot walk in most of Afghanistan without being kidnapped or killed by the Taliban or just held for ransom. Al-Qaeda, uh, uh, you've never had an Afghan except for one guy ever try to attack Americans, and that's Zazi. So that you don't have any kind of history of, of Taliban Afghan Taliban trying to attack the U.S. They're a very local nationalist group, obviously very retrograde. In fact, this is what's so depressing about the situation. We've managed to make, in the eyes of many Afghans, the Taliban look good. This is how incompetent we've been until now. This is not the first surge. This is the fifth surge. We keep on trying more and more of the same thing. The generals are begging, just give us a little bit more time. So far, there's no sign that it's working. Why would you trust them? Finally, If you want to defeat al-Qaeda, you have to at some point address the grievances. We're supporting dictatorships throughout the Middle East. We're backing Israel blindly. There are specific reasons why there are people in the Muslim world who resent the U.S. Or you could ignore it and say, okay, we want to have cheap oil. We want to be this empire that supports dictatorships in Pakistan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia. As a result of that, though, you're always going to have a small group of people who are going to want to seek revenge unless we change who we are at some point. Thank you. Near Rosen. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to find out which side, in your judgment, has argued best. All right. It's all in now. I've been given the final results. Remember, the team that changes the most minds here is declared the victor. And here it is. Our motion, Afghanistan is a lost cause. Before the debate, 46% were for the motion, 23% were against, 31% undecided. After the debate, 51% are for the motion, that's up 5%, 36% against, that's up 13%, with 13% undecided. The side against the motion carries this debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time.
This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.